0: everybody. It's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, January se- uh, February 7th, 2021. Welcome to The Way Radio Live. Uh, if you're watching on Facebook and you comment, I can only see your comments if you're watching through our church page. I'm not able to see comments if you're watching on my personal page, but I'll respond after uh, the broadcast. Um, hey, Mom and Dad, good to see you guys. Today's message is entitled, Jesus Knows Your Heart, and it's based on John 2, 23 through through 25, and I can tell on the screen I've got these white dots of light going through my face, so please pardon that. I'm going to have to put some kind of uh, shield up on the window next week, so those aren't there, Uh, but let's pray, and we will get right into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to gather here online uh, at a distance to hear your word, to learn of you, uh, and to spend time in fellowship, even though we uh, many of us are quite far apart from each other. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, bless each person that hears this message, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to it, that you would reveal your truth to us, and that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our spirits to the amazing power and majesty of the message of the gospel. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the title of the message, like I said a second ago, is Jesus Knows Your Heart, and it's based on John 2, verses 23 through 25. So I'm going to read those. First of all, John 2, 23 through 35 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So it's a very interesting portion of scripture, and I think uh, there's a lot of lessons in it. But what I really want to focus on today is a consideration of three questions that I'd like you uh, to ask yourself about this. Portion of scripture and about your heart. Why do you do what you do? And these questions are uh, posed in the context of why do you do what you do in service? If you serve your church, if you're on the mission field, if you're preaching, whatever it is that you're doing to serve the Lord, if you're giving, why do you do what you do? What is your inspiration for what you do? What is the condition of your heart? What drives you to do the things that you do in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I think you'll see the the importance of these questions as we go through this message today. So let's look at verse uh, 23, which says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. In biblical times, a person's name pretty much summed up their character. So when it says they believed in his name, it doesn't mean that they just knew that his name was Jesus or Yeshua. They believed in him, at least to the extent of what they had heard about him. And at that time, a lot of what they had heard about him probably had to do with signs and wonders and this very revolutionary message that he was proclaiming as he preached throughout the area. So it says, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And that's very important to pay attention to here. Their belief, what we will see, and what you see all through the book of John, is that their belief was mostly superficial because it had come about only as a result of Jesus' signs. Very important lesson for us in this. Their belief was superficial because it had come about only as a result of Jesus's signs. Now I want you to look at John 4, 47 through 48, and John 20, 28 through 29. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then if we look at John 20, 28 through 29, says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So what he was telling this first man, where it says in John 4, 47 through 48, when this man heard that Jesus had come to Judea from Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And I believe one of the big lessons in that is the fact that Jesus did not have to go down to see the boy personally or physically. If this man had understood who Christ was through the message that he was preaching, if he had understood that he was the Messiah, God or is the Messiah, God incarnate, he would realize that he could work the healing from anywhere. He did not have to go down, but he had been conditioned for what? Signs and wonders. He thought Jesus, he may have looked at Christ, uh, maybe as you might look at a magician or somebody that can do special things that way. That's why uh, this modern obsession in the New Apostolic Reformation movement of signs and wonders can be so dangerous because it takes the focus off of the gospel and puts the focus onto supernatural things that may or may not be happening. So he was correcting the man by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He was trying to open his eyes to the truth of the gospel that can only be opened by the working of the Holy Spirit, not by seeing signs and wonders. And then where he says to Thomas, says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is after Christ showed him where he had had the wound in his side. He showed him the holes in his palms. And he says, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen And have yet believed. So Jesus is saying that if you believe in Christ without physically seeing him, that is the sign of blessing. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Why is that a blessing? Because we're able to place our faith and our trust in Christ. We are blessed to be brought to belief through him, through being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is not required that we physically see him. As these people did. So there's a very special blessing in being brought to belief in Christ and being brought to faith and trust in Him without the requirement of signs and wonders and seeing Him physically in the flesh. I see Roz is asking me to repeat a verse once more. I'm not sure which one she means. It's either John 4, 47 through 48, or John 20, 28 through 29. So I would just look those up there on the the screen here. Believing in Jesus, the point I'm trying to get across here is believing in Jesus is much more than acknowledging his ability to work miracles. We must accept what his miracles and signs reveal about his ministry of the gospel and who he is. So again, believing in Christ is much more than acknowledging his ability to work miracles. There have been unbelievers down through history who have not who have acknowledged that Christ was a real man. They believe that he existed, and they may they may uh, they may credit him with being a great spiritual example or a great spiritual leader. But they are not acknowledging and believing in him as the Messiah. So how I've explained this in the past is many people believe. In Christ, but they don't believe for salvation. You see? And there's a very and very important, this is a very, very vital and important lesson here to understand. Many believe in Christ, but they don't believe in him as the Messiah. They don't trust in him and have faith in him as the Messiah. And again, you can only have faith in him you can only trust in him you can only truly believe in him if you have been born again by the power of the holy spirit and your ears and your eyes and your spirit and your soul have been opened and blessed by the holy spirit to have faith in the lord you see what i'm saying let's look at second corinthians 5:7 for we walk by faith not by sight we don't need to see things physically we don't need to to see Christ physically we don't need to see signs and wonders we walk by faith and our faith is born by the power of the holy spirit working through god's word and the proclamation of the gospel that brings us to believe romans 8:24 through 25 for in this hope we were saved now hope is that is now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see? So we're getting a very beautiful explanation here of what true faith is. And we should not require physical proof if we have true faith in Christ. The gospel must be understood and divinely revealed. And this is the point that I make all the time. You can only understand the gospel. You can only be uh, brought to faith through it if the holy spirit is doing a work in your heart as christians in obeying the command to go make disciples of all nations we must have faith in the gospel this is a huge lesson that so much of the modern church needs to hear these days in obeying the man to go make the command of christ to go make disciples of all nations we must have faith in the gospel there is so much emphasis put nowadays in mission work where the emphasis is put on trying to convince people to make a decision for Christ. You cannot convince someone to follow Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. It is not within our power to do so. And because there's so much of a lack of faith in the message of the gospel, emphasis is put on signs and wonders, promises of prosperity or worldly standing, you know, the prosperity gospel, or other things that are not biblical or according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that becomes about because of a lack of faith. We are told to go preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. You preach the gospel, those that respond to the gospel are those who we strive to make disciples of. You see? God's grace in working miracles, this is a very important point as well. God's grace in working miracles is very different from that grace by which a man is saved. The people that we read about in this portion of John believed in Jesus' names, but their hearts were not changed. Now, I do believe that many of these people who either believed in Christ wrongly because they just were fascinated by his miracles, or they rejected him outright, they wanted nothing to do with him, I believe that after his uh, trial, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, that many of them came to faith because then the Holy Spirit blessed them to understand The things that they had experienced, you see, but their hearts had to be changed before that belief would take place. But what we see here is people not believing in Christ for the salvation of their souls. And that's what is critical for us to understand. We must rely on, adhere to, and cling to Christ. So, that is a, if you want to write down a definition of what it is to truly believe in Christ, it is to rely on Him to adhere to him, and to cling to him. It's not a casual acknowledgement of him existing as a human being at some point in history, who was a great spiritual master and a great example of what we can do if we discipline ourselves. There's a whole school of thought that's been around from the beginning of the church that looked at Christ that way, through sort of a Gnostic understanding. But that is not correct. If we are truly going to believe in Christ, as Christians, belief to us means that I rely on Christ. I cling to Him. I adhere to Him. I place my faith and my trust in Him for salvation because I have nothing of my own to make me worthy to stand before God. The only thing that I bring is sin, and Christ is the only way for that sin to be cleansed from me. You see? The goal of our faith should be to apprehend Christ in his divine fullness. This is one of the reasons pretty much through every sermon, I try to get people to understand the importance of spending time in prayerful study of the word. You cannot apprehend Christ in his divine fullness outside of studying his word. That is how the Lord is revealed to us. That is why the Bible is such a wonderful, supernatural book that is a gift from God to help us know His Son and to be reconciled to the Father through the Son. Unregenerate sinful nature and this world will strive to move the focus off of Christ. This is so prevalent in the world in which we live these days. I'll repeat that. Unregenerate sinful nature and this world will strive to move the focus off of Christ and onto the I, what I need, what needs to be fixed in me, my problems, etc. And if you look at so much of the modern church, that's what the whole structure of the churches are built on nowadays. How can we help people with what they think they need help with? What are their perceived needs that we need to address? Not the gospel message, but what are they telling us they need? You see, there's a very severe problem with that. Selling a Jesus that you've uh, created to be pleasing to worldly eyes, working Jesus into recovery and self-help programs, basically uh, like like Celebrate Recovery did, they took the apostate heretical program of of the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and thought, wow, this would really be marketable in a Christian context if, if we could market it. If we, if we could mix in some some Bible verses with it and, and change Jesus a little bit and make him fit into this 12-step program. And that's how Celebrate Recovery started. So working Christ into recovery and self-help programs, obsessions with signs and wonders in so much of the modern church, trying to work Jesus into a business marketing plan in the guise of the church. And I don't think anybody that's been in ministry or been a Christian for, for very long who has really taken it seriously, can argue with the fact that this really does explain much of what is going on in the world today in the name of Christianity. It's a false Christ created to be pleasing to worldly eyes and worldly palates and worldly minds and hearts, rather than the uncompromised, bold proclamation of the gospel as it is written and given to us in God's word. It should never be changed or altered to fit the tastes of the world. And if you read church history, it's been a problem since day one. There has constantly been a stream of apostates and heretics who have sought to try to find a way to make the gospel more acceptable in a worldly from a worldly perspective. And it never works. All it does is cause more and more corruption and suffering. So you have to ask yourself, when you look around and you see what's going on in so much of the modern church today, why is the world allowed to dictate how Jesus is to be presented? Why would that be allowed? How could that be? That's why Romans 12, 2 is our mission verse for for, for everything we do. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. So what's happening there is you're taking the world, and you're trying to take God's word in Scripture and change it, into a way that's acceptable to the world. And that is totally wrong. For Christians, everything starts in God's Word. So everything we see is seen through the filter of God's Word. Everything we experience is through the filter of God's Word. Everything we do should be inspired from our study of God's Word, rather than how can we change the word to make it more comfortable for the world? You see, I can't hammer this point home enough. And it's probably one of the top two or three topics that I have just harped on endlessly over the last six or seven years, because it is such a severe problem in the world. We must simply seek Jesus through prayer, through the gospel, in the word, in fellowship. Now, the best way to do this is to get into your own personal walk with Christ and to make sure that is as healthy and as nurturing and as strong as possible. Because if you are striving to make sure that your walk with Christ is as solid as possible and as pure and according to God's word as possible, everything else that you do in life, everything, every other work that pours forth from that will be pure and holy. So it all starts right here in your heart. And that's why the the title of the sermon is Jesus Knows Your Heart. It's very important to understand that. So simply seek the Lord through prayer, through his gospel, in his word, and in fellowship. And strive to be conformed to his image. Now, let's look at John 2.24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So it says these people believed in him because of his signs and wonders in the previous verse. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Now, what is that telling us? First of all, I want to make a side note here. Jesus did not exercise divine omniscience during his incarnation. So where it says, because he knew all people, I don't believe this is alluding to uh, giving us a false understanding that when Christ was in the flesh, he had omniscience. He under, he knew everything. There were limits that he placed on himself as God when he became when, when, when he was incarnated in the flesh. And that's why it says he condescended. That was his humiliation. He gave up much of who he was in order to become one of us so he could suffer and die for us. And it's a, very, it's a very tricky topic to understand, but hopefully these verses will help explain what I'm talking about. So Jesus didn't exercise divine omniscience during his incarnation. And I'll give you a couple examples of this. Let's look at uh, John 11:34 34 and Mark 13, 32. In John 11:34, 34, it says, And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. So he asked them, where did you lay Lazarus's body? Now now he may have knew or he may not have, but why would he have asked the question? <clears throat> Mark 13, 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So the day when Christ was to return, at least when he was in the flesh, making this statement, he didn't even know when that would be exactly. Only the Father did. So there were limits placed on his omniscience when he was in the flesh. Now, I feel this is because he needed to walk by faith during his incarnation. I believe that there were things that he needed to not know when he was incarnate in order to walk by faith. And I believe this is the reason that we read constantly in the Gospels that Jesus went away by himself into a quiet place to pray. Jesus went up in the mountain to pray. Jesus was in prayer all night because he needed that communion with the Father because he had given up some of his omniscience to become human. So he needed that communion with his father to give him the strength he needed in faith to carry out the work that he was sent here for. There's a huge lesson in that for us. If Christ needed to pray that much, how much should we be in prayer to carry out the work that's placed before us, to carry out the, missions that, the mission that we've been given in this life? Just think about that. And I know in the modern world, I don't think there's anybody that prays as much as they should. You know, if you ever want to read about a life of prayer, read about George Mueller and what he accomplished because he was always in prayer. That's one of my great frustrations: is uh, the obnoxious, unceasing interruptions of this world because of technology that make it so hard for us just to get away and get quiet. You see, and I would just highly recommend that you be very protective of your time and very strict of your time and set aside time for prayerful study of the word and meditating on christ and his word one of my favorite things to do is i I go away and i go trail running luckily we live in idaho and i can get away from people very quickly and i can go run on trails where i never see another human being and that's a great time to pray and i often take a bible in my backpack and i can stop and read and study the word, and I have no interruptions. I'll even turn my phone off. Very important in, these, in this time in which we live to really be strict about your time. Jesus tells us, he says, make the best use of the time. And I believe that's what he's alluding to. So be very careful about that. And also what we're talking about here, I don't want to get into too deep of a, a theological discussion. But when I say that Christ wasn't completely omniscient when he was in the flesh, could he have been? I believe he could have been. I believe he could have done like that, and everything he was when he was with the Father before his incarnation, when he was in the flesh, could have had instantly. But he gave up part of it. It's called the economic subordination of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were still divine, still holy, Still unchanging, but in the economic trinity, you have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, but they're still God, you see. And that's a whole nother topic that we could get into later. But I think because of the economic trinity, Christ gave up some of that understanding in order to live in faith as he had to do in order to do what he did in order to, to carry out the mission that he was sent here for, which was to save us. Now, on the other hand, Jesus often did display supernatural knowledge. And this is where the Bible is so interesting, because there's sometimes there's these areas where we're not going to really understand exactly what was going on when Christ was here until we're with him in his kingdom. But Jesus often did display supernatural knowledge. So he was fully God and fully human, And so there was a mix of that, and that's what makes this very interesting. And it says, because he knew all people. And I think what it's talking about here is Christ obviously understood the human condition better than any human being that ever walked this planet, because he knew what human beings were designed, were created to be. We were to glorify and honor God in everything that we do and enjoy him forever. And he understood the severity of the fall into sin more than any human being ever. His knowledge of it was, was beyond anything our greatest minds have ever strove to comprehend. It says because he knew all people. He knew the condition of those that he had come to save. Look at John 148. i I'll give you guys some examples of this. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So he had that ability to know who Nathanael was before he came to meet him. Matthew 9, 3-4, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? So that's like I said, it's interesting. Some things were revealed to him. Mark 11, 2-4, And said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. So he told them exactly what was going to happen. Mark 11 or Mark 14, 13 through 16. And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So while I believe he, he wasn't omniscient to the level that he was with the father in heaven, he still had some omniscience here. And again, like I said, it's a very tricky area to try to understand. Now let's look at John 2.25. So so we know from John 2.24, the point is he knew all people. He would not entrust himself to the people who claim to believe in him because of his signs and wonders, because he knew all people. And then John 2.25 continues, And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And again, he understood the depravity of sin that exists in every human being, and that's what this is referring to. He knows us each individually, and this is the core message of the sermon today. He knows us each individually from essence to Adam. He knows the minutest parts of us. Matthew 10.30 says, whoops, hit the wrong verse there. Matthew 10.30 says, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. It's a lesson in how minutely the Lord knows us. He knows every detail about us. And then Jesus knows all men because he created all men. See, it wasn't like he just had this supernatural knowledge. That's what we have to understand. Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. He is our creator. So when he was on the earth walking in the flesh, he was walking amongst those whom he had created and came to save. Look at John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The word is Christ, the logos. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what Christ saw and sees in every human being. Now look at Jeremiah 17.9-10 in Romans 3. 10 through 12, we get a picture of the heart that Jesus know exists in every human being. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He searches the heart and tests the mind. The Lord does that. Romans 3 10 through 12, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So it's giving us a picture of the total depravity that humans are born into until they are born again. In Jesus Christ through the message of the gospel. Very important verses for us to memorize and understand. Very important. One point I want to make here is: it says no one understands, no one seeks for God. And again, to get back to so much of the modern church, if you if there are so many that claim to be seeking for God, but if you are seeking through God through any other way than through His Word. And through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through Him, you're not truly seeking for God. You're seeking for what you want God to be. You see? You're not seeking for God. You're seeking for who you think God should be. Very important lesson in that. What you have to understand is we should not and we cannot hide Anything from the Lord. And why would we want to? Regardless of what you've done, what you think, what you're harboring, you can't hide anything from the Lord. I want you to consider David. Let's look at Psalm 51 3 through 4. It says, A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So if you're not familiar with the story, King David was on the roof of his palace and he saw on another rooftop this beautiful woman who was uh, bathing, and he was attracted to her, and he sent and had her brought to the palace. They had an adulterous affair. She became pregnant. To make it even worse, when he found out who her husband was, who happened to be, his name was Uriah, who happened to be one of David's most loyal soldiers David knew the problem that he had created for himself, and he thought the best way to get rid of the problem was to get rid of Bathsheba's husband. Even though this man was so loyal and loved David so much, David actually gave Uriah sealed orders, told him to take them to the commander of the battle. He left and went to the battle, and those orders said, take Uriah into the battle and then abandon him so he'll be killed. And that's what happened. So then he was guilty of murder. So he was guilty of adultery and then murder. But look at how he responds when Nathan the prophet, opened through the power of the Holy Spirit, opened his eyes to how severe his sin was. We look at it as adultery is bad, murder is bad. But look at how David responded. He said, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, you only have I sinned and done what is wrong and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He realized when he heard the truth that he had sinned against God and that's what crushed him. You see, that's what brought him to his knees. Amazing. Jesus knows the sin you dwell in and he understands the sin that is your nature. He took it, he became that sin, and he bore the torture at the death sentence for that sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So regardless of how horrific our sins are, Christ bore that on the cross and suffered and died to pay that sin debt that is due to us. Study that. Meditate on that. But Something I really want to get across today is you do not have to get yourself cleaned up, shiny, and ready to come to Jesus. That is a false belief that destroys so many people today. I have run across people constantly in the last 7 to 10 years that do not want to go to church, do not feel like they can approach Christ or ask for forgiveness until they get their life straightened out, until they get things cleaned up, until they somehow atone for the horrific sins that they've committed that are an offense to God. I've heard it constantly, especially in the recovery industry. But what you don't understand is, is... You're never going to remove that stain. Only Christ can remove it. So you come as you are. You cannot fix yourself up to come to Christ, no matter how hard you try. So ask yourself these questions. What is the condition of your heart? What is driving you to do what you do? What is your inspiration if you are working in ministry? If Christ looks at your heart, is it monetary gain? Is it fame? That's huge with with social media. So many people are in ministry now because of the, 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 the recognition that you can get through social media. Christ looks at your heart. What's the reason that you're doing what you're doing? Very important question to ask yourself. And again, you cannot get yourself ready to come to Christ. He sees your heart, and the heart is what matters, and you can't change that. Only He can do that. And then ask yourself this question, what is it that keeps you holding on to and coveting sin that only leads to death? What If you've heard the gospel message and you know the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Christ, but you're rejecting it, you're pushing back because there's something that you don't want to give up. What is it that you don't want to give up and come to Christ and be washed clean of all that filth from sin? So what you've got to understand is only by God's grace can we be saved. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. And there's nothing you can add to the work that Christ did on the cross to save yourself. It is all of him, by him, and through him. And again, go back to the beginning of the history of the church, and you will see movement after movement after movement of those that are either saying we can work our way to heaven or we add to the work Christ did to get to heaven. No, you can't add to it. Your works mean nothing outside of Jesus Christ. That's why when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished, and he gave up the ghost, meaning the work he came to do was finished. The sins of the elect that he came to save had been paid for and atoned for, and it just has, there's no need to think that we have to add anything to it. It is just by faith and trust, in Christ that we are saved. I'll give you some verses to reiterate this point. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So you cannot be brought, do anything if you're dead. He brought us from death to life, all of God. Acts 4.12 and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It must be the true name of Jesus Christ, not a counterfeit. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, or eternal life. Praise the Lord for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would open each heart that hears this message. Uh, To examine ourselves, uh, that we would have, that you would bless us with the courage and the boldness uh, to look deep within ourselves and to see what sin we still harbor and to see what it is that hinders our walk with you. And Lord, that you would uh, create in us a greater desire for uh, purity and for holiness and to be conformed to your image. Uh, Lord, we live in times that are so crazy and so confusing. Uh, Those in the world are literally losing their minds trying to figure out what's going on. But it is a glorious time to be in Christ because we know the truth of what is going on. Uh, The world is being what the world is. The world is doing what the world does and has always done. But you never change. You uh, are always true. You are always the way, the truth, and the life. And your word tells us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So regardless of what's going on around us, we rest assured, we rest in you, and we have peace and calm in you. And regardless of the storm around us, we are in the safe harbor that is only found in you. And I just ask that you would bless each person with this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here today, you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, If you'd like to help the ministry, we need it very much. Just go to the way, the letter R122.org. We are very close to moving forward with establishing our Bible training school in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, We've just started to put the plan together for that. Uh, There's some things that could be taking place that I I can't announce yet. But once some decisions are made by some other individuals that I may be teaming up uh, on in this effort, Uh, I will announce that. That could be just in the next few weeks, and that'll be very exciting. Um, But anybody that's been anywhere in the world realizes that one of the biggest exports from America is false teachings right now, and we very much want to push back against that. And uh, we have a huge opportunity to uh, help train people in solid biblical doctrine in a great location uh, in Nairobi, uh, that's very central to a lot of people there and would be able to reach a lot of people as it as it went out from there. So really pray about that. And like I said, in order to make that come about, we need a lot of prayer, we need a lot of help, and we need a lot of fan- financial support to make it go. So please consider that. Again, thank you for watching. And we will be back here next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.